Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. I like to think of central bank digital currency as being a little bit like a digital banknote. So Bank of England provided money for everyday payments by households and businesses. And because this would be money provided by the Bank of England, it would be a very secure and trusted form of money. In a world of multiple private digital currencies, a CBDC from the Bank of England would give people an alternative that isn't linked to a big corporation. And you can see why that might be something people would want. Ian talked about the fact that um, Bitcoin has been used by people who are mistrustful of, of governments and who, who want to you know, avoid that level of, of scrutiny. Bitcoin has also developed a bit of a reputation for you know, the online criminals payment method of choice. Back in April, the Bank of England and the Treasury announced it was looking into a new digital currency, one that's quite unlike anything available to us now, because it would be controlled by the bank itself, effectively making it a currency of electronic pound coins and notes. And this kind of digital payment project owned by the bank and the government, which is a concept we'll be unpicking later, it's what's called a central bank digital currency or CBDC. And that's a term you're going to be hearing a lot today. Now, the new currency has been dubbed Bitcoin in the press. And you'll probably have noticed the interesting pun there on Bitcoin. But the two digital currencies actually have less in common than it leads you to expect. Because while Bitcoin at the moment is primarily used as an investment, the Bank of England's potential currency would be meant for all kinds of day-to-day spending. So it could, in theory, completely transform the way we bank and pay for goods and services. So what better place to start than by speaking to the Bank of England itself, and which journalist Ian Aikman has been very lucky to get an interview with the head of the bank's digital currency project, Tom Mutton, actually the first of its kind. I'll begin by handing you over to Ian as he asks what CBDC, again, that central bank digital currency, is all about and why it's being considered. Then I'll be back along with Ian and Which Money magazine editor Jenny Ross to delve deeper into how it would work and what what it could mean for other digital currencies as well as good old-fashioned cash. We are which. Tom, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind first introducing yourself for the listeners. Uh, hi there, everyone. Uh, I'm Tom, uh, and I run the Central Bank Digital Currency Project uh, in the Bank of England. Now, can you explain to us what exactly a central bank digital currency is? So um, I like to think of central bank digital currency as being a little bit like a digital banknote. Um, So Bank of England provided money for everyday payments by uh, households and and businesses. Um, And because this would be money uh, provided by the Bank of England, it would be a very secure and trusted form of money. 
Uh, and 10 pounds of central bank digital currency will always have the same value as 10 pounds of cash. Um, and uh, really importantly, central bank digital currency would exist alongside cash. They'd be complements for each other. Um, so just as we have our Visa or MasterCard in, in physical form in our, uh, in our pockets um, and often in digital form uh, in, in wallets on our phones, and then we might also be able to have uh, both physical cash uh, in our pocket and digital cash um, as well. Um, we think that central bank digital currency would most likely be accessed uh, and used via a smartphone app. That seems the most probable route. Um, but it's really important that people who don't have a smartphone um, can also still use it. And uh, in a number of countries, people are thinking about what the opportunities that might look like, uh, things like prepaid cards, for example. Who would it be providing those apps and cards? So the Bank of England would focus on its specialism of providing very safe and trusted money. Um, so we would operate the core technology and infrastructure and would provide uh, the item of money. Uh, but that uh, users, uh, whether they're shops or whether they're consumers or households, uh, users would deal with private uh, providers, uh, particularly digital wallets, but maybe people providing cards who would provide the interface and they would deal with customer services. Uh, they would uh, do the onboarding, sign people up to the service. Um, and therefore, when dealing in CBDC, you would use a private sector wallet or card, um, but your money uh, would be recorded at the Bank of England and provided by the Bank of England. We've heard fairly recently about how bad Bitcoin is for the environment. Is that a similar risk with a CBDC? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, so Bitcoin's uh, energy use is very much a reflection of the particular choice of technology used within the Bitcoin network. Um, and actually, that technology is not representative of the sorts of technologies we would choose to use in a central bank digital currency. Um, so the Bitcoin technology is known as a blockchain or a distributed ledger technology. Um, it validates transactions by essentially broadcasting them to the network and then forming a consensus that uh, the uh, transaction was valid. And the computational requirements of forming that agreement and that validation are very, very intensive. That technology would uh, used by Bitcoin is not actually representative of all distributed ledger or blockchain technologies nor is something like blockchain the only technology which is available. We might use more conventional technologies. Um, but with all of them, they are significantly more energy efficient uh, than uh, something like Bitcoin. So it's really not the relevant baseline for comparison for a central bank digital currency. You've said it's an if. Now, if you were to decide we do need a CBDC in this country, what sort of timescale are we talking for when it would at earliest be implemented? Well, CBDC is a really important topic. Um, so we're exploring it with uh, with pace and, and with purpose, uh, but we haven't taken a decision yet on, on whether or not we need one. We currently have a well-functioning payment system, so we've got some time to thoroughly study all the pros and cons and produce a really rigorous assessment of if we need CBDC and if it will add value. Um, but ultimately, uh, money is too important to rush this. So we'll take the time to get it right uh, and make sure we engage uh, with a broad cross-section of stakeholders. Um, and then... Uh, just to kind of shed a bit of light on timetables, um, the answer is, if we were to do this, and it is an if, uh, it would be a multi-year project. Um, in my view, um, I think the second half of the decade would be the, the very earliest feasible date. Uh, therefore, pretty unlikely that you'll, you'll have a digital pound in your pocket, so to speak, uh, anytime soon. 
And in just a moment, we'll be back with part two of the interview. Hello, Which Money podcast listeners. Apologies for the interruption. I'm Greg Foote. I'm the presenter and producer of the sister podcast to this one called Which Investigates. And I just wanted to let you know that following our chart-topping first season, putting claims of sustainability under the spotlight, we are back with a season two, a new series of investigations on a different subject, this time looking into concerns around tech and security. Are you being tracked online? Could your home smart devices be hacked? And are you buying things based on fake reviews? All those questions and more are being investigated, including, in a couple of weeks' time, a collaboration with Lucia for essentially part two of this Witch Money episode, as we open up our wallets and see if the move from cash to contactless brings with it new security concerns, as we ask how safe is mobile banking, cryptocurrency, and the entire future of money itself. If any of this sounds up your street and you want to have a listen, just search for Witch Investigates. The first episode of season two drops this Friday. Now, though, back to Lucia. Thanks, Greg. Great to hear the new series of Witch Investigates kicks off this Friday. But for now, let's go back to Ian and the second part of his chat with Tom Mutton from the Bank of England. So we've talked about how it works and we talked about what it is. I think I want to ask you, why? Why do we need one of these or why are we exploring whether we need one? What benefits would it bring to people potentially? I'm always asked, and it's a great question, why do you need to do this? Payments work fine today. My Visa card, my MasterCard, my American Express works really well. My bank could just do all of this. Why why are you bothering? And it's a really good question. I tend to say two things in response to that. Um, One, uh, as we covered a little earlier, uh, a UK CBDC would be provided uh, in partnership with the private sector so they can bring their expertise and innovation and really great customer service. Um, And secondly, really importantly, I think, uh, our exploration of CBDC is really trying to think about the long term and and what the future might look like um, and making sure that we anticipate our future payments needs, which can be quite difficult. So we're not necessarily using today's payment services as the baseline for comparison, but trying to look forward and think about what the world might look like in the future and what role there might be for a digital banknote uh, and what sorts of payment needs we might have in the future. And of course, I mean, it's slightly a statement of the obvious, but it's important to say um, if we were going to do a CBDC, and it's very much an if, we'd have to be satisfied it would add value. And if we look at what the private sector can do and actually uh, we uh, determine that they can deliver all these things we want to achieve, um, then I think uh, there may not be a need for a central bank digital currency if it wasn't going to add value. So let's talk about that, actually, whether it adds value. Um, I think something that you might be facing is at the moment, it's not clear if people actually want a central bank digital currency. Um, There was a poll from August from Politico that found that 24% of people believe the digital pound would bring uh, more benefits than harm, but 30% said it would do more harm than good, uh, and the rest were undecided. How does that play into the work you're doing at the moment? So something that we have to think about very carefully is articulating really crisply what this is doing for the user, 
why it's adding value and making sure that people are equipped with enough information to understand that um, and that we we make that case convincingly um, and obviously with an open mind because no decision has been taken. We also, I think, have to be very conscious to look to the future and to think about not just the state of the world as it is today, where we have uh, well-functioning card networks, uh, you know, uh, many people, but not everybody has access to a bank account, but look to a future in which perhaps privately issued forms of digital money are prevalent, perhaps where cash is used uh, even less than it is today, um, and ask ourselves the question of, is it important to have the option to use a publicly provided payment instrument as well as one which is provided privately? Um, and there could be some important considerations where a central bank digital currency really could add value. Um, it will enable choice. It might enable competition. Could, uh, in particular, have inclusive features. We've uh, we've done a lot around banknotes to try and make sure that they are inclusive. Um, they have accessibility features, and privacy is a really big one as well. So. Um, it is possible that there could be some private money initiatives which seek to use people's data for commercial purposes, uh, presuming that is permitted uh, within the regulation and legislation. The Bank of England wouldn't have a commercial incentive to use people's information, and therefore it might be that actually the Bank of England uh, would have a strong incentive to provide a higher standard of privacy. Um, so there's a number of reasons that people might be interested uh, in a central bank digital currency. You talked about how... Um the Bank of England would have no commercial incentive to be uh, misusing people's personal data around spending. We've seen before that a government's committed essentially mass surveillance. With a CBDC, is there a risk around that, around the government being able to track people's payments for whatever reason they want to separate from commercial incentives? So it's a good question. And uh, it's one we have to think about very carefully and to offer people reassurance that their privacy will be will be protected uh, and ideally promoted. So privacy is fundamental to trust and confidence in money and, and money only works if people trust it. Um, so maintaining high standards of privacy is going to be a non-negotiable for us in a CBDC system. Um, the task force, uh, so uh, HN government, Bank of England, uh, Information Commissioner's Office are, are going to think about how to protect and promote privacy. Um, and indeed, there's a range of techniques we can use uh, from privacy enhancing technologies through to setting up the CBDC system uh, in such a way that personal data is segregated uh, and safeguarded. Um, and of course, it is the case that CBDC would just be one of a number of ways to pay. Um, and uh, there would, of course, be non-CBDC options available for those who prefer to use those. Um, one point I, I will make here, though, is that... Um, the use of data um, can have relevance to certain public policy objectives. The most obvious one um, is avoiding financial crime, uh, avoiding money laundering. Um, and we will have to consider the circumstances in which data might be used under the right circumstances with the proper protections by the right authorities um, where it is necessary for the purposes of law enforcement. Um, and you know, I think exactly those sorts of discussions about uh, how do we maintain a very high standard of privacy whilst also making sure that there is data available uh, for legitimate uh, and transparent purposes for law enforcement is going to be one of those issues that the, uh, the task force has to consider very carefully. Running out of time, but there's one question 
I really have to to ask you is what are the chances that it's actually going to be called Britcoin? Well, it's uh, it, it is a nice joke. Uh, obviously, uh, appeared on uh, on Twitter. Um, that decision won't be for me. Um, but uh, what we definitely know is that uh, we don't want it mentioned in the same breath as Bitcoin because it's something very different. Um, but uh, yeah, I won't be making the decision on whether or not it's called uh, it's called Bitcoin. But it did uh, it did entertain me when it came out. Thanks again to Tom Mutton for speaking with us. And I'm now joined by Ian and Jenny. Now, as we heard in the interview, according to the Politico poll findings, Brits seem quite suspicious about a CBDC. Tom was reassuring you, Ian, that it would have a higher standard of privacy than you might get with private companies. But we are effectively talking about a government-controlled digital currency, which does ring quite heavily of Orwell's 1984 and concerns... Big Brother is watching you and now also your spending habits. Ian, is this largely the biggest concern with the so-called Bitcoin? It's one of the big concerns, um, definitely. As you say, we've just heard Tom Mutton reassure us that the uh, privacy concerns would be top of their priority list. Uh, they'll be doing everything they can to make sure privacy is protected. But that really hasn't stopped people uh, from thinking this way and from thinking about the possible worst case scenarios with a digital currency. Um, so you've said Big Brother there. I think it's worth bringing up another literary reference, which is The Handmaid's Tale. And there's a scene in the book and the, the show mm. where the government closes down all women's bank accounts. <laughs> you know, And the question is, if a government had sort of direct control mm. over a form of money or, or at least the ability to interfere more directly, would it be easier for it to do something like this? And I think what experts would say to that is, if you have this sort of despotic government you know that in itself is your biggest problem and if a government is going to do something like that uh, it'll probably find a way to do it with or without a cbdc um, and i think that's similar for the big brother concerns around a cbdc is that hopefully we would not have a government that would want to use it in that way and if it did that in itself is the primary concern potentially um there is something else I'd like to add to this, though, which is that currently Bitcoin, so Bitcoin, not Britcoin, uh, isn't issued by a bank or a state. It's it's decentralized. Um, so it actually is quite popular with people who don't trust their government. You know, they want to keep their money uh, in this separate thing if they don't trust the government or even institutions like banks. Um, and winning these kinds of people over to a CBDC would definitely not be an easy task. I'm going to strike a slightly more positive, non-dystopian tone here, um, <laughs> for starters, by pointing out that in in some ways it's 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 naive to think that you know the banks with whom we trust our money are not using our data to some extent. Obviously, it's heavily controlled and regulated, but our spending data is visible to, to banks. You know, there, there are big, as, as Tom Mutton was pointing out, there are big commercial incentives to interrogate that data and to learn from what it, um, you know, what it tells companies about uh, about consumer behaviour. Obviously, it is reassuring that, that um, in, in the interview, Tom Mutton stressed that, um, you know, Privacy is, of course, central to well, it's central to the concept of money full stop and why you trust banks to, to hold it. But obviously, it's going to be central to this project, and um, you know that obviously commercial incentives are going to be 
far less significant than they might be with with ordinary banks. Um, so yeah, arguably there's there's an incentive for a higher level of privacy there. Um, but also, you know, that data can be used for good as well. Um, we heard about the the potential for it to um, stamp up financial financial crime and money laundering. Ian talked about the fact that um, Bitcoin has been used by people who are mistrustful of, of governments and who who want to you know avoid that level of, of scrutiny. Mm. Bitcoin has also developed a bit of a reputation for you know the online criminals payment method of choice because it is that much more um, secretive. So you know you you, you might have seen um, hackers who have who've hack, hacked into companies and are demanding ransoms in the form of of cryptocurrency because it is much less traceable so that is the dark side of of bitcoin if you like and one of the reasons why the you know the increased level of 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 transparency um would would or could be seen as 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 a positive in this case so yeah there are there are I was going to say two sides to the coin. That is a horrible pun, um, but there there are pros pros and cons here, and it's it's important to um, to take them all into account. And interestingly, it's not just the Bank of England looking into a central bank owned digital currency. We've been speaking to Professor Gavin Brown from the University of Liverpool, who you might remember from our special episode on cryptocurrency. And he's been telling us how other countries are working on electronic forms of cash and what it means for other digital currencies. 80% of the countries around the world and their central banks are either researching or piloting or implementing this type of technology. So expect to see a digital dollar, a digital pound, all of those will be on the horizon. The Chinese are in a state where they've already piloted at the province level. Many tens of thousands of users have begun downloading their digital renminbi or the yuan, which is their currency, and actually using that to buy and sell goods. The fact that at the time of the launch, they've also taken a hard line on cryptocurrency comes as no coincidence. You know, you would imagine that, you know, if you're going to launch a state sponsored product, and there is an existing product out there which can operate outside of state control, one of the first things you want to do is to frustrate the thing that you're trying to effectively protect yourself against in order to leave the way clear for you to dominate that playing field. So that would be my my kind of working hypothesis, and it's not unique to me. I think many other people would say that as well. Um, so it's really getting trying to get rid and uh, frustrate things like Bitcoin so that their own CBDC can, can have a clearer path to uh, to success, really. So can we talk a bit more about how a CBDC would exist alongside other digital currencies? But would it really be a competitor for the likes of Bitcoin? Because as it stands, Bitcoin seems much more for investors rather than making everyday payments. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the crucial distinction to make, Lucia. And we heard that loud and clear in, in Ian's interview that they are not, you know, Bitcoin and Bitcoin or whatever the CBDC ends up um, being called. They are two very different beasts. I mean, it's it's simplest to see Bitcoin as a digital equivalent for for cash. So its value would be identical to to sterling. It's something you're going to be using, um, as you say, to make everyday payments. It's not something you're going to be buying in the hope that the value increases over time. I think rather than uh, Bitcoin, maybe the competitor for uh, or the comparison for the CBDC would be other digital currencies privately issued by by private companies. That's one of the things uh, that I heard in the interview is that the 
Bank of England is looking very much looking forward into the future. You know, we heard it's going to be at least four or five years uh, until they even bring this out, if they do choose to bring it out. And what they're thinking is that the the landscape of payments could be quite different to what we see today. So there are a number of digital currencies in the works from private companies. One of these is called DM, uh, as in the phrase carpe DM, rather than, you know, sliding into the DMs, uh, which Facebook is working on. And uh, you might remember its name as Libra, which is what it was called when it uh, first was proposed a while ago. Um, we don't know much about it yet, but one of Tom Martin's points was uh, in a world of multiple private digital currencies, like potentially DM, a CBDC from the Bank of England would give people an alternative that isn't linked to a big corporation. And you can see why that might be something people would want. And to go back to another point from Tom Mutton's interview, he did stress the value in physical cash. But could an electronic version of pound coins and notes effectively be the final nail in the coffin for cash and potentially even the end to banking as we know it with debit and credit cards? I don't really see um, a CBDC as a threat to physical cash, I've got to say. I mean, as we all know, the shift to digital payment methods has been happening for a while now. Um, you, if you look at the, the latest figures from, um, from the trade body UK Finance, you can see that cash accounted for 17% of all payments in the UK last year. A decade ago, that was more than half. It was 56% of all payments. But it does remain the second most frequently used payment method um, behind debit cards. And just over a million people mainly use cash for their day-to-day spending in, in 2020. So with that in mind, I think it's um, it's really reassuring to hear Tom at the Bank of England frame um, a CBDC as a complement to cash rather than a replacement. So it's clear that there's, there's recognition there um, that cash as things stand, you know, remains an important payment method for many, many people, even as more and more people are turning to digital payments. And let, let's not forget as well that the, the, the birth of um, Bitcoin or whatever it does end up being called, um, if it ends up happening at all, is 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 a long way off. And um, and Tom Mutton was was keen to stress that. He he also talked about how they are um, they are in anticipating future payment needs. So presumably they're envisaging a world where cash use has already dropped sig- significantly from from what it is now. And I think I think that's a really healthy approach to take. Um, innovation should be welcome. There are so many benefits to to digital payments from convenience to, to security, but that does need to be balanced with an understanding of where where um, consumer behaviour is currently at, and a recognition that if we if we move too quickly towards cashlessness, um, an awful lot of people are are going to be left behind. Um, it was good to hear as well in in, in the interview the mention of um, inclusivity. Um, you know, an acknowledgement that well, first of all, not everyone is. Um, has has moved beyond cash yet but but also not everyone has a smartphone or or wants one and that that may well be the case you know further down the line when where bitcoin is closer to to becoming a reality and it's it's for that reason really that i think it's unlikely that an electronic version of banknotes and coins will bring about the end of well necessarily bring about the end of debit and and credit cards too 
Um, but that said, I mean, who who knows where we might be in a in a decade or two's time? Uh, you know, after all, like if you think ten years ago, hardly anyone was making contactless payments, but now it's about sixty percent of all car payments are, are contactless. So things do move very quickly. We'll have to wait and see. Thank you to Jenny and Ian and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Just before you carry on with your day, if you could leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. More reviews mean more people will hear the show and its wealth of advice. And of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts on so-called Bitcoin and if you have any questions off the back of today's show. And of course, you can also find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money Podcast was recorded by Rob Lilly and co-produced by Rob and Ian Aikman.